passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Daniel Gallon. We are pretty far apart, but we're right here together on the post-game podcast. I'm actually over in New England for the weekend for a family occasion. Daniel and Mark Brennan, as always, on the scene for Penn State uh, road action. And Penn State on the road for more Big Ten play today. A 41-13 victory over Northwestern. When you look at that final score, uh, you think, okay, Penn State covered that major spread. They handled their business, but... As we'll get to it, it's our job to kind of boil this thing down, I think James Franklin said afterwards, and and look at some of the not-so-pretty aspects of this victory. But, Daniel, you're out there, uh, out in Evanston, uh, sweating through the final stages of your uh, existence out there on this trip. Um, what, what was kind of the vibe with the players, with James Franklin and post games? James wasn't all that interested in pointing toward the warts of this when it didn't sound like in post game. It was more hey, 41-13 was where he kept going back to. Yeah, I, I think that when when you look at this, that James Franklin talks about going 1-0 uh, every week, and Penn State did exactly that uh, with its, its win at Northwestern today. I mean, it really wasn't pretty. Um, and I think that if you talk to James Franklin, that you know he'll emphasize that not all of them are going to be pretty. I mean, he talked about it after the Illinois game um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a win that does have a lot of warts on it. 
Um, but at the same time, there's some positives that, that you can really take away um, from what Penn State was able to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, this team has a lot of work to do as they go into their bye week. Um, I'm, you know, you come out on the other side with UMass, and then after that, you've got Ohio State. Um, so there are a lot of things that Penn State is going to have to get sorted out um, pretty quickly. But, you know, you're 5-0 and at this point in the season. You know, the calendar flips to October uh, tomorrow morning. You know, you're 3-0 and in the Big Ten at, at this juncture. Uh, you've got a top 10 ranking. Uh, it, it's hard to ask for, for much else. Um, but, you know, as we know, there's a lot of work to do. Daniel, Mark Mark shared an interesting uh, note with us as this game was wrapping up. Penn State Northwestern attendance uh, reflected as 25,064 today, which is by far the, the smallest crowd to see Penn State play in football when we weren't in the middle of a pandemic and no one was allowed to see the Nittany Lions play in person. What was it like there in, in pregame? You, were, you and Mark were there very early in, in the morning on Saturday. This one kicked off 11 a.m. locally. The worst fears were kind of realized for Nittany Lions fans as Penn State had that sleepy start and ended up being down 10 to 3 pretty deep into the second quarter. What, were you sensing that that something like that may be set to take place going into this matchup based on what you were feeling on the field? Yeah, I think so. You know, I rolled in around 8 o'clock this morning and uh, the parking here is uh, it's a, a bit of a walk, um, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. And on the walk in, it's just kind of like you're in a very quaint suburb. Um, you know, it's not until you get really, really close to the stadium that you start to see sort of any semblance of tailgating. Um, and, you know, I think it's what James Franklin talked about earlier this week where, you know, they were practicing without the crowd noise. Um, you know, are you going to be internally motivated? Or are you going to be externally motivated? You know, the Penn State fan base, I thought, showed up well. Um, I thought Northwestern had a, a decent student section. I mean, not everything is going to be Beaver Stadium in a whiteout, um, but they did draw some students who were packed into this one section. Um, and so I think that there was a, a little bit of adversity. I mean, you know, I, we, I think we kind of talked about it in the, you know, bring your own juice uh, type of the, the way to phrase it. And I don't really think Penn State brought the juice early, at least offensively. I thought defensively, you know, they did. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, only 25,000 people here. You know, you're, I don't know what it actually is. I'm really bad at gauging those types of things. Um, but you're coming off that whiteout with 110,800 people in Beaver Stadium last week. Um, I mean, Ryan Field, the way it's set up, uh, you know, it doesn't make it the most intimidating or, or most fun kind of environment. I mean, personally, like, I, Kind of liked watching this you know i like the setting here um you know the way that it's set up you know it's very green very grassy you know it feels like you're you know part of the landscape um but obviously that's not necessarily conducive to a, a big time college football atmosphere you know so i think that penn state did come out a little flat you know they didn't really help themselves early uh, with some of the mistakes on special teams um, but they were able to work through it i think feed off that defense and then go from there Northwestern had 13 total yards in that first quarter, but it's three to three and they eventually end up taking a lead. We hadn't seen Penn State trail in a game for quite some time during this lengthy win streak. They have a pretty astounding stat. They were, were 
the second longest mark in the Big Ten in the last 20 years when you look at this thing in terms of not leading six consecutive games that hadn't trailed. That changed early on, uh, three to nothing. That continued to change, 10 to three. But let's go back to the very beginning because so much of the conversation this week aside from, hey, watch out for that sleepy star in Evanston, which did happen, was no turnovers. Look at this team. They're the only team. They're the last team in the FBS. No turnovers. They don't turn over the ball. Didn't even get the offense out on the field turnover nick singleton fumbles the opening kickoff and you're thinking oh my gosh nick singleton ball security has not been an issue for you except when the opposing team is the northwestern wildcats <laughs> and we ended up seeing a few balls hit the turf drew drew adler had a fumble out of the pocket on a hit uh Ketron allen before he exited the matchup had one punched out those were recovered by penn state this one was not and it was part of the reason why the nittany lions faced some adversity early on this afternoon <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had the after they lost the the coin toss and Northwestern deferred, I had the tweet all queued up, and I think I did post it on our board that this was going to be the first time that the Penn State offense was going to start on the field this year, uh, and because of Nick Singleton's little fumble there, you didn't even get to that point. Um, so I, I put Penn State in a really adverse situation, but I thought the defense responded really well. You know, they yeah. push they push Northwestern back um, on that drive and and forced them to settle for a field goal. Um, and then outside of that one long drive later in the first half, I thought that the defense played really well, you know, had them where they wanted them. You know, the mismatch in the trenches was so, so clear. Um, but Penn State was really, it felt like on its heels. I mean, you know, you don't expect to be trailing in a game like this, and you definitely don't expect to be trailing because of a, a turnover the way that this season has gone. I mean, you know, it's like 11.05 a.m., 11.10 a.m. Uh, I think the commercial breaks probably push that back a little bit uh, in the early going, but and they're already losing. So it's it's very different. I think it was probably a bit of a, a shock to the system. And yeah, I don't really – I wouldn't necessarily call it sleepwalking the way that things were going early on, but, you know, they did need to wake up, uh, and I think that you saw that in the second half um, with how things went. But – I think that the defense really, really held up its end of the bargain um, yeah. and really helped get things rolling. I mean, they have these beautiful streaks, the point streak now. It's 12 consecutive <laughs> games, 30-plus points, 41 points on the scoreboard today. Um, they've scored in, in, in more consecutive quarters than anybody in college football. But the real consistency with this team, and I would really even go back to that, the five-game win streak to close out last season has been this defense. Uh, there hasn't been a week where they didn't show up. There hasn't really been a half where they didn't show up. And whereas the offense has had a, some series here and there or maybe some quarters or halves this season that you could point to and say, okay, what was that about? That was a bit of a clunker from the offense. The defense just hasn't had those kind of lapses. Even as, as they've gone to the second and occasionally third stringers, they've been able to string together some really good football. And, and so while the, the, this offense, you know, they had an 11-play, 53 uh, yard five minute field goal drive. I mean, these are the kind of field goal drives we've been seeing from Penn State lately. It's just these time consuming third down conversion, occasionally the fourth and short conversions. But beyond that drive where they pick up three points via Alex Falcon's field goal, three punts on those first four possessions. And, and meanwhile, Northwestern, they lose four yards on their field goal. Well, I'm not going to call it a drive. They were given the <laughs> ball on, on the opening kickoff. 
they get the ball, they lose four yards, they get a they cash in still with the field goal, then they lose three yards on their next possession. They pick up nine yards on their next possession, and then they go on this 10-play 59-yard drive that, th- that takes five minutes off the clock for themselves, and all of a sudden it's 10-3, to 3, Daniel. And, uh, you know, that, that upset alert uh, text is getting sent out to, to phones all across college football, and you've probably got friends, and I know I had friends and family hit me up and saying, what's going on Penn State, man? I thought this is supposed to be an I thought you were covering a national championship contender and our message board starts to burn down. And fortunately for Penn state, they flash another one of those you know, kind of statement drives to kind of stabilize themselves before halftime. They weren't able to convert on a second opportunity to score late in the first half, but while the defense is doing its work and we'll shine more of a spotlight there, that was huge to see that, that, that uh, six play 63 yard touchdown to match things up at 10, 10, and send this team in intermission, knowing full well that Northwestern's getting the ball after halftime, but feeling like, okay, uh, you found yourself a little bit there. You found something. Yeah, it felt like Penn State got really aggressive at that juncture, uh, that it kind of got up, that their backs were against the wall. They knew that they needed to do something before halftime. And I think that the way that James Franklin has talked about the middle eight uh, before in, in his in his time, that that he's very cognizant of the fact that Northwestern is going to get the ball uh, to open the second half. So I think you saw that with right after uh, Penn State scored and they kicked the ball back to Northwestern. James Franklin has all three timeouts and he's trying to call them to get one more bite at the apple before halftime, which they did and, and couldn't convert. But I think that going into that drive, Penn State was really cognizant of, of what they needed to do. Um, they knew what the situation was. Um, and they really responded and delivered. So, you know, I thought that that was, you know, a positive to see. I, I think that if they went into this game at halftime trailing, you know, 10-3 or, or 10-6, that, you know, you're looking at a, a much different complexion coming out of halftime. I mean, I, I think that it might not happen against Northwestern, the way that this team is constructed, uh, but against better teams, you can only call on your defense so many times that there's going to be, uh, a time where you know they they break instead of bend, um, and I think that you were watching this game like he never really felt like that was going to happen against Northwestern just because of the talent out there and the fact that like I mean AJ Henning is a nice player wide receiver I thought Ben Bryant threw a couple good balls but the mismatch was just so big in the trenches that you never really felt that you know Northwestern was going to you know, make something happen. Obviously, that's not going to be the case, uh, you know, through mid-October and, and into November. Um, but yeah, I think at that moment, Penn State, the offense kind of buckled down, you know, got the drive and got to the end zone, and that just really, really set them up uh, nicely right there. I mean, we saw Trey Potts take the ball in; he gave them a nice little jolt there, um, and I think it just got Penn State to to where they really, really needed to be, um, you know, going into halftime. It was a first and and first and ten situation from the thirteen yard line, so not quite first and goal, but right on the doorstep. Uh, and Trey Potts just does all the work himself. We're so used to seeing Penn State require three plays to get first downs these days, or maybe even four plays and a cloud of dirt. That's just the style of football that, that we've seen of late, um, where you know it was a little bit different to see Trey Potts pretty much go on touch. Nice wiggle out there in the open field. He reaches the end zone, and for a guy who spent four previous years in the Big Ten West, he's doing some damage back in those stadiums. Daniel, he threw a touch 
touchdown to give them a spark against Illinois. He reaches the end zone here in a 13-yard rush. Uh, a little bit later on, to, to put this one on ice officially even even more and to make some people happy out there in the betting world, he takes a 30-yard reception uh, from Bo Prabula where he does a, a lot of the work on that one, reaches the end zone. So two touchdowns. I know right before we sat down to record this podcast, you spent some time uh, writing about the day that Trey Potts put together. It's his fifth game with Penn State. Remember, he got to campus in May following graduation uh, from Minnesota. Yeah, this this day I think really belonged to Trey Potts as as much as this day could belong to anyone on the offense. Uh, the way they performed, I think Keandre Lambert Smith is probably the the only other guy that really has a claim um, to a, a great day on the offensive side of the ball. You know, maybe Nick Singleton, but I thought that Trey Potts really showed what they brought him in to do today. Um, you know, you saw Katron Allen get dinged up at the end of the first half he was on the sideline for the entire second half didn't have his helmet you know was sitting with his teammates you know watching from the sideline um and it's something that you know i thought about a lot this offseason when they, when penn state was you know doing its roster management you saw kevon lee transfer out um and you knew that penn state had to make an addition at running back is that you know penn state was just so fortunate to get through that stretch run last year after kevon lee got hurt without Nick Singleton or Katron Allen getting nicked up. And you know that at running back that it's, you know, you, you don't want to see anyone get hurt, but yeah, if you're being realistic about it, you know that at some point it's going to happen just because of the nature of that position. And it happened today with Katron Allen. Um, it's an undisclosed thing. James Franklin said he, it was early. He didn't have his medical report and, you know, just threw in there that probably wouldn't tell us anyway, <laughs> um, even if, even if he did know, um, you know, but you call Trey Potts' number. Uh, you know, there's a reason that he's here, uh, and this is that type of thing where that number three running back is going to get called into action here and there. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to see a game this year where Trey Potts gets 15 carries, but what you saw today was he had five touches or four touches and scored two touchdowns. I mean, that's, that's what you call efficiency. Um, he was on special teams too. Uh, when Daquan Hardy uh, returned, I think Northwestern's last kickoff, uh, you saw Trey Potts. He almost got flagged for an illegal low block, but he just threw himself uh, at the Northwestern player that was on kick coverage. So, you know, I think that you're getting a guy who is here, knows his role, isn't expecting too much, uh, but when his number's called, he's going to show up. And Mark Brennan was, was down there on the sideline uh, at the end of the game when Trey Potts caught that touchdown pass, and he saw James Franklin you know, pull Trey Potts into an embrace uh, on the sideline and tell him that he was proud of him for more than just the touchdown uh, in that moment. And, you know, we saw it in the post-game news conference where James Franklin took a, the opportunity to take that injury question about J.B. Nelson and Katron Allen and make it about Trey Potts and use it as an excuse to, to shout out Trey Potts, to highlight what he's done, um, to lay out that, you know, Trey Potts isn't, you know, he's not getting all these touches. He's not getting all these reps, um, but he's there. He's in the room. He's a presence. And pretty much every time they've called his number, he's delivered. Um, so I think that that speaks to what you're getting with a, a redshirt senior running back. I think he almost has 1,200 career yards, 11, you know, 10 or 11 career touchdowns coming into this season. Um, and he just showed up in a very, very needed way today.
Yeah, Williamsport native, guy who who was on campus a bit, getting recruited, but never, never really came to fruition where he was an offered recruit. Injuries late in his high school career had, had a big uh, role in that. Uh, and then he goes off to Minnesota, and he ends up being the primary backup to the most accomplished running back in, in Golden Gophers history in Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, and now here he is, knowing what the situation is with those two sophomores. But this was a circumstance where you didn't see it at all last year. And, and now here in the second quarter, we're going to have to learn more about it. We're going into a bye week, so it'll be something to kind of chew on, I suppose, when we, when we examine storylines coming out of the bye week and when they get back to action in Beaver Stadium against UMass on October 14th. But between now and then, Katron Allen's officially, at least in that questionable status for us, because mm -hmm. it's an undisclosed circumstance. I don't think it's going to be uh, anything but undisclosed uh, before kickoff on October 14th. But he looked visibly frustrated. We, we know this is a guy who loves football. He didn't get on a plane and fly out to Evanston to watch everybody play football. <laughs> he was at six carries for 27 yards on the day. Um, you figured he's going to kind of share that, uh, share that load again uh, of carries. And it ends up being Nick Singleton's 21-carry uh, game for 80 yards. That ties the most carries that Singleton has had at any point in his college career. He added a team-best six receptions on the day for 39 catches and a touchdown. Uh, Singleton continues to be more active in, in the passing game. Uh, but with Allen, look, this it changes the complexion. We just talked about what Trey Potts did for you and, and how important he has proven to be, um, where you're not relying on, upon a couple true freshmen or walk-on in this circumstance. Uh, but with Katron Allen, if he's gone, that gonna if he's even sidelined, or we're even talking about this being more of a one-man, uh, a definitive one-man or uh, holding that starting job in Nick Singleton, then it's going to intensify on Singleton. You know, again, long of 16 today. Uh, you know, he, he did get loose for the 16-yard catch as well, but still not seeing him carry the offense down the field. Uh, we haven't seen that kind of a, a moment for, for Nick Singleton. He's up to 20 touchdowns in his young career. He's got seven touchdowns on the season. Reaching the end zone scoring has not been a problem thus far, but just below four yards per carry. That's kind of where he's been for much of the season now, and we're about halfway through this regular season. Whether or not Katron Allen is available coming out of this bye week or not, I think Nick Singleton, you're going to want to look, and this, this ties in the entire run game, the production has to be more robust. It has to be more threatening on a week-to-week -week basis if Penn State's truly going to bust the lid off their ceiling and, and break through as a Big Ten title contender and a Big Ten title winner. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to need big plays to, to beat some of these teams that are on the schedule down the stretch. And I think last season we saw that Nick Singleton can be that kind of player. I mean, he ripped Auburn's heart out uh, down there in Alabama last September. Um, and we just haven't seen that from him yet this year. And I think that when, you know, from everything we know about him, everything that we know about the offense, the continuity that they had up front, the development on the offensive line, you know, I think the running game was maybe the thing that people were least worried about coming into this year. I mean, I think that we thought that we would see Nick Singleton just kind of pick up where he left off last year, just, you know, just running, you know, just through opposing defenses, whether it's Big Ten, the non-conference or what. Um, and that just hasn't really happened uh, this year. Um, you know, he had a couple nice plays today where he showed a little bit of wiggle or got tripped up once he got through a hole. Um, I think that there is one play where uh, I believe it might have been Sal Wormley. His guy got off his block just maybe a split second uh, too early. Uh, and if he hadn't, Nick Singleton might have had a, you know, a really, really nice run. Um, but I think Nick Singleton is someone who is going to do whatever the team needs to do to win. 
know, we saw him in the passing game. Uh, I think he had three catches for 35 yards or so. Um, you know, he was someone that, that Drew Aller was, was looking to uh, when, when he needed him. Um, no, six catches for yeah, 39 yards. Um, but, you know, I think just looking at, and you saw Singleton too, uh, you know, pushing Drew Aller um, on, on those quarterback sneaks um, and, and stuff like that. So he's going to do whatever it takes to win. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we just haven't seen those explosive plays. I know Mark Brennan talked to him for a little bit after the game. I need to go through and, and see what Nick Singleton said. Um, but I think that, you know, coming into this weekend, I think we were all expecting the breakout, you know, given what Northwestern is on defense, um, you know, fair, fair or rational or not. We all kind of felt that, he, that Nick Singleton was due um, at this point in the season it didn't quite come through fruition. So I think this bye week is big for the Penn State offense and really trying to diagnose some explosive plays, you know, figure out, um, you know, what is next and then going from there. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Yeah, this was the, the North, Northwestern bringing in the Big Ten's worst defense in terms of rushing yards allowed per game. Uh, today, Penn State gets 134 total rushing yards uh, on 39 rushes. Uh, one sack allowed, uh, and, and we, I know you noted it earlier, but J.B. Nelson was lost uh, pretty early in this contest, the starting left guard. Um, he was carted off the sideline uh, that was shown on the television broadcast today. Um, James Franklin, uh, in answering about J.B. Nelson, said he was back with the team. Um, it, it, I, I couldn't quite read into that answer. Uh, Daniel, unless I'm wrong, he never checked back into action. Uh, Venga Ioane, obviously, a step back up a left guard. But J.B. Nelson's one of those kind of open-ended situations, correct? Yeah, I, I think that was just James Franklin's way of, you know, not really answering the question, but right. but still saying something. Because we know that, uh, you know, you, you always have to ask, but because at this point, we never know what we're going to get when we ask about injuries. But I think that we most likely know what he's going to say. So I just interpreted that as, yeah, like he's going to fly back with them um, yeah. and then they'll figure out uh, what it is from there. 
Yeah, well, and we'll have game snapped uh, breakdown uh, up uh, this weekend on Sunday uh, at Lions 24-7, kind of reviewing how the guys got worked in due to some of these injuries. You'll see, obviously, more Trey Potts at running back, and Venga Ioane is someone they have full confidence in. He started a couple weeks ago. He's basically been getting a starter's share of things, but that, that it, it does complicate things. You're losing a heck of a player in J.B. Nelson, a guy that seems to be an ascending figure at the guard position, but you're also – then taxing Salim warmly to another degree and and asking him to stay out there for ext- series after series rather than getting him off the field occasionally. So it does change some things for you, something else to monitor from a health standpoint. Um, from an offensive perspective, I mean, the third quarter changed everything, and, and it changed everything on both sides of the football. Northwestern decided to gamble a couple times in that third quarter and sandwiched in between those gambles. Penn State came out and, and delivered exactly the kind of authoritative drive that you maybe hope to see from the Nittany Lions after intermission. Um, they had to wait to get the ball back. Uh, again, they, they got the, they were supposed to have the ball first. Nick Singleton fumbles it away. And so they, they give the ball to Northwestern to open that half, quickly get it back. And Daniel, they march down the field. And this is a, another one of those occasions where they've got a few situations where they can tack on a field goal, relatively easy field goal for Alex Falcons, or go for it on fourth down, get to that goal line. And, and the worst case scenario is, you leave what is not an impressive Northwestern offense on the doorstep of their own end zone going up against your very impressive defense. So I think it was the right move. Drew Aller uh, ultimately gets through on the second try, uh, and, and that punches uh, a that punctuates a 12-play, 68-yard drive, very much of what we saw over and over again against Iowa. That put them up 17-10, to 10, and really it felt like, forced Northwestern to get more aggressive than, than perhaps they wanted to, or at least reach into their bag of tricks. And the ensuing possession is when they go for the fake punt. Uh, the freshman, Zion Tracy, steps up, comes up with a tackle about a yard before that marker, and all of a sudden the Nittany Lions are set up with a short field. They get a field goal out of it. But there you go. I mean, the game is totally turned around. It's 20 to 10. You're doubling them up on the scoreboard. You had one really good possession for the offense, one really bad possession for the offense. But because of what your defenses are doing along the way, uh, you get out of that 10 points. Yeah, that's obviously where the game really flipped. I mean, you're, you're coming out 10-10 um, out of halftime, uh, and you get that uh, you get a three and out to start, uh, which this defense these past couple of weeks has proven really adept at that. Um, and then the offense just kind of goes to work. Uh, it wasn't necessarily pretty, and it wasn't necessarily smooth, uh, but you score on three straight possessions, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, uh, and suddenly it's a 27-10 game, and that just allows the defensive line just to be able to to feast um, on Ben Bryant um, and that Northwestern front. So, yeah, I thought that that was obviously where the game you know really swung, uh, but it felt like the the point in the game where you could really go for a big play. Like Nick Singleton would break one off, Drew Aller would go deep, and you could really land a, a knockout blow instead of grinding it like they did. You know, that first touchdown, you've got four plays from the three-yard line and in to get it into the end zone. I mean, and initially, I think that they ruled that Drew Aller didn't get in or or was short on on one play. I think things are running together a little bit. But, you know, when you're putting it in the hands of, like, a judgment call and ball placement, um, that's always a, a little bit of a risk. You know, after that one stop, they had the chance to, you know, to make it a, a two touchdown game, but three and out have to settle for the field goal. Um, and then after the fake punt though, they were you know, able to assert, assert themselves, um, really push it in. 
Um, and I thought a really, really neat play call from Mike Yersich on that touchdown to make it 27-10, where you motion Nick Singleton to make it look like it's going to be a quarterback sneak. Uh, Singleton leaks out into the flat and Allard, Allard gives him the ball. Um, I thought that that was a nice little wrinkle that they had plenty of opportunities to set up uh, based on what had happened on, on earlier series. So, yeah, I thought that that was where you saw the Penn State offense, you know, kind of find itself a little bit. You saw some creativity. You saw some guys make some plays to move the chains. Um, but at the same time, you would have liked them to see uh, after that one, the first fourth down stop, you know, to do more than just go three and out, um, you know, to really punch it in, uh, to really uh, put Northwestern down. I mean, because that's what you're going to have to do against Ohio State, against Michigan, where if you get a gift like that, you're going to have to score seven and not three. And Trey Potts, by the way, popped up again on that on that touch, second touchdown drive of the third quarter to make it 27 to 10. He had a, a four yard gain on a third and four where he, he really muscled through a defender on Northwestern to keep the chains moving. Two plays later, a second and goal from the two is when Aller finds Nick Singleton for the touchdown strike. There's uh, Singleton's second touchdown of the day. Aller's second total touchdown of the day. He now has 10 total touchdowns on the season. Um, to go with no turnovers, you know, you still got the, 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 the turnover for the team, I guess is blown out the window via Nick Singleton's kickoff return, but your offense now is through five games and into its bye week without a turnover. And that starts with the quarterback I'm more on the quarterback in a second, but yeah, I'm, I'm I just self editing myself here. Cause I had the order wrong. It was the, the, the quarterback rush that, that, that they attempted, uh, Northwestern mm-hmm. attempted in between that, that field goal and that first touchdown, of the third quarter, they had Ben Bryant trying to basically match what what Penn State was doing on the short yardage runs. Ben Bryant on fourth and one from their own 31 yard line, I think it was trying to rush. They didn't get it. Defense steps up for Penn State as it has really all season, uh, and they get the field goal out of that. And then you've got on the ensuing possession, so Northwestern back to back. They go for it on fourth and one, don't get it, and then they go for it on the fake the fake punt run. They don't get it. And that's all she wrote. Once once Penn State yeah. gets that touchdown to, to Nick Singleton, it's 27 to 10. We had a, a really long look at Northwestern's offensive attack by that point. And pretty soon afterward, you've got Ben Bryan actually exiting the game with an injury on a collision with, with Zane Durant. Um, when, when Northwestern's down at the goal line trying to cut this one down to maybe 10 points. They cut it to 27 to 13 ultimately. But Zane Durant was a big reason why there weren't more than three points, Daniel. He had a sack of Bryant on, on, on third down at the doorstep of the goal line. And this is a guy who had three tackles for loss to go with that sack today. James Franklin spent some time praising him in post game. Sophomore player, I thought he was one of two sophomore defensive linemen who just splashed all through the field all day along with Denai Dennis Sutton. Mm-hmm. But Zane Durant, if you're getting this kind of an interior uh, twitchiness and that interior penetration, there's a reason he was a third down pass rush specialist last year. Now he's an every down guy, and you're starting to see why there's been so much buzz about him in the last building. He's got a, a ton of athleticism. Uh, his, he's got a unique build at that 6'1", 285, which I think makes him a bit of a, a tough mat, matchup. But you know, that athleticism and that burst really shined today. That sack that he had of Ben Bryant, I mean, he was just in the backfield immediately. Like there was no chance. Um, you know, he delivers a big hit to knock Bryant out of the game. Um, and that was really sort of a felt like an exclamation point um, on, on how things have been going. But, you know, I think that you, you know, we've seen a lot with the the edge rush where, you know, 
couple holding calls can probably be called here and there. You know, Chop Robinson is probably fighting through, you know, more than a little bit uh, in, in that department. But, you know, we've seen the, the defensive ends be close a lot this season where they're almost there. You know, they, they've got their arms out right when the quarterback's, uh, you know, releasing the ball. But, you know, if you have that coming from the middle, you know, if you can marry that to pressure up the middle, I mean, it'll make things so much easier um, on the back end for for Penn State. So, you know, I thought Durant, he, I think this is the type of performance that we'd been waiting for from him for a while. You know, we've heard about him since he got to Penn State basically from day one uh, as someone who impressed a lot. We saw him play a lot of football last year. We've seen him move into the starting lineup, I believe, a couple times this year. Um, and for him to come up with a game like this and really provide a spark on on the day when Penn State needed something from its defense uh, to really push themselves over the finish line, I think that bodes well. And I think that he can put himself in a position to really contribute a lot down the stretch. Kobe King had a couple tackles for loss. Yeah. He had a sack. Adiza Isaac had a sack. Uh, you had denied Dennis Sutton, as I said, with a sack, and that was just part of his involvement. I felt like he was just he was just disrupting plays and forcing guys to do things. Uh, it's fun to see this former five-star blossoming as a sophomore. You had Keon Wiley and Zariah Fisher getting involved with the sack. Seven total sacks, I believe it was, for the day. Twelve tackles for loss uh, for the Nittany Lions collectively against Northwestern. Yet again, limiting an opponent under 200 total yards it was under 100 yards against iowa i don't think you're going to keep that up but unless i'm mistaken this is four out of five games now daniel where the opposing team has failed to reach 200 total offensive yards by the time things are done manny diaz is dealing right now and and as we know he's got the depth to throw a lot your way and between a bye week and umass there's a lot to workshop here for a defense that just hasn't given you much to poke holes I mean, he's he's pushing all all the right buttons right now when it comes to to the defense. Um, you know, we've we've seen a couple complete performances from them these these past couple weeks. I mean, nothing is going to be as complete as what we saw last week against Iowa. Um, but you know, this showed just the talent that they have. Uh, you know, putting guys in position to really make an impact. We saw that third down, three defensive end rush package uh, again this week, a decent amount. And Northwestern was in a lot of third downs. So you, you had the opportunity to, to really let them eat. Um, I do think Kobe King had a really, really nice game. I think that he is really coming to his own in that Mike spot. You know, I do think that with the talent of some of the other linebackers that, you know, he's not necessarily playing that much football and you see him come off the field in certain packages. Um, but when he's on the field and he's in the middle, it, it feels like he's in control and, He's playing with just a really high motor. I mean, that sack that he had, you know, he misses Ben Bryant, uh, I think on a pump fake or Ben Bryant steps up in the pocket and <clears throat> Kobe King regroups and is able to bring him down behind the line. Um, I think that that was just a really, really nice hustle play. Uh, I think that he is someone that really did a lot of work this offseason that's paying off right now. Um, but the defense as a whole, everything just really seems to fit together nicely. You did have a couple plays here and there with, with some shaky tackling in the open field, um, but they did they did their jobs in, in limiting um, you know these mistakes. There there's no kind of real busted play that leads to a 70 yard touchdown. Um, it felt like they were in control. You know you're not going to be as dominant every week as you were a week ago, um, but they just did such a good job of getting off the field when they needed to and giving this offense the opportunities to take the lead, 
take control and pull away. Yeah, Northwestern's leading rusher on the day was backup quarterback Brendan Sullivan, 25 yards in garbage time. So it uh, says a lot about what they were able to do against Northwestern on the ground today, putting a lot of pressure on them to try to make it work against the perimeter. Tough task against this defensive backfield. Daquan Hardy uh, keeps the momentum ball rolling in the right direction. Four straight games now with a takeaway uh, for Penn State's defense. Daquan Hardy, two of the last three games since he got back into the swing of things with an interception now. Um, and And – so 66 to nothing on the season now in the third quarter. I just want to go to that um, because to me, that's clearly the sign of a team that is, is, is handling its halftime correctly. Let's, let's keep doing what you're doing in halftime. But I think it, it's another testament to the depth and the attrition that we're seeing play out. It feels like a weekly basis, the same story. The opposing defense you know, limits Penn State to two to three yards per rush in the, in the first two quarters. And then all of a sudden it's four to six yards per rush in the third quarter and the opposing offensive line, which, which kind of held up firmly through the first two and a half quarters starts to show cracks. And eventually the dam opens up by the end of the third quarter. I mean, we're not making it up. We were talking about it in August. This is a very deep team on both sides of the ball. They're using that specifically in the trenches and third quarter, 66 to nothing through five games. That's a reflection of that to me. Yeah. It's a pretty mind boggling stat. Um, especially given the fact that the offense ha- it hasn't felt like that it's been super crisp all season long. But, you know, whatever adjustments they're making at halftime, um, we talked to some of the players today about the halftime message, and they said that the message every week is that it's 0-0. Zero, zero. You know, no matter what the score is uh, in the game, you know, they're coming out that they want to win the third quarter, they want to win the second half. Um, and, you know, when you talk about pushing the right motivational or messaging button. I, I think that that's one that that's really working for Penn state. Um, so, you know, how sustainable is that going to be? You know, we'll see. Um, but I think that we've really seen Penn state gap its opponents, uh, in the third quarter. And we saw that against Illinois. We saw that again today. I think that having the depth, having the conditioning and having the, the athletes, I think that that's where the, the talent gap really, really shows uh, against these, you know, inferior opponents, even if it is a big 10 team. So you know, I think that's going to be something to track as, as we move forward, you know, how does Penn state continue to really put the foot on the neck of its opponent coming out of the break um, and, and use that as the opportunity to really, really kick things into gear uh, through the third quarter and into the fourth. Once again, it was a day where Penn State was starting out with the ball and in great situations. Uh, Average start of their own 42-yard line today on the road at Northwestern. That's been a common theme, helped in large part by this defense, obviously. And when you see 41 points and when you think about Catron Allen not being available and, and, and Singleton maxing out at 80 yards on the ground, you may think that Drew Aller had himself a really impressive kind of day out there. Uh, but that was not the case. Uh, he was actually below 50% pass completion at halftime when this was a 10-10 game. He finishes above uh, 50%, but barely 80, 18 of 33, 189 yards, one touchdown. And there were some really kind of head-scratching misses. You know, you're thinking either, okay, this is a, a young quarterback showing that he's still a young quarterback or you know, the offensive meetings didn't exactly uh, work to effectiveness uh, by the time they got to Saturday because you know, we're talking about receivers not being in the area of these throws in some key situations. Now, there were stretches 
that that touchdown uh, that touchdown to match uh, touchdown drive to match the the scoreboard in the second quarter. The long touchdown drive that, that he ends up uh, punctuating with a, a run in the third quarter, where he had some key third down throws. He got hot. He found Keandre Lambert Smith a couple times. He found Theo Johnson another time. Um, and, and those were important throws, but there was a lot of opportunities here, Daniel, where Penn State could have really wrapped their hands around Northwestern's neck, stayed on the field, you know, just move the chains, get move towards midfield, continue to put the pressure on them. And, you know, instead it would be a three and out or five or six plays. And all of a sudden you're off the field because of some misses. So Drew Aller, right around 50% completion away from home, right around 80% completion uh, back home in Beaver Stadium through those three games there. We've got a lot to learn about him. He hasn't lost. He hasn't turned the ball over. He hasn't been forced to play catch up in the fourth quarter. He has been forced to save the day on the road to this point. So there's a lot of stuff we're still learning about Drew Aller, and clearly they can survive less than stellar performances. But this is one that reminds you that he remains a work in progress. And even though we think he can be a number one draft pick when it's all said and done here with the Nittany Lions, it doesn't mean he's a number one draft pick here on September 30th, 2023. Yeah, Aller's performance, it felt like that the way that the game flow was early on and the opportunities that he had, he really did have a chance to really dice up this Northwestern defense. Um, but some of the throws that we'd seen him make um, through the first couple weeks of the season, you know, especially those outs to the sideline, um, you know, some things over the middle where there's a guy open. He had that one uh, incompletion to Keandre Lambert Smith where like directly over the middle or it just felt like he kind of short armed it and it went behind. It wasn't really an assertive uh, type of type of throw. Um, but, you know, we just didn't see the aller that we'd saw in, in those home games. Um, you know, it seemed a little tentative at times, um, you know, missing there's some of the misses to the outside, I think were what really, really stood out to me. Um, the misses there. Uh, we did see them try to take some deep shots late. Uh, in the fourth quarter when, when the game was out of reach. Um, you know, he couldn't quite connect on those into the end zone. Um, they got close, um, and he, and Allard just really does throw throw a pretty ball. But you James know, it, Franklin let his opinion be known. I, I don't know if he'll change it by the time we get him again, if, <laughs> if it was brought up, but he said after the game that they felt like one of those deep, deep opportunities, that there was an opportunity to come there, and it wasn't it wasn't hauled in by the receiver. It would have been a heck of a catch by Dante Cephas to complete mm-hmm. a heck of a throw, but they, they need these receivers to make heck of a catches if they want to be an elite-level squad. It didn't come through there in that moment uh, for Cephas. But that that was you're right. That was that kind of kill shot mm-hmm. moment that we have not seen through five weeks, and the ball was where it needed to be, maybe a bit toward that t- uh, back end of the end zone, but uh, they, they went for it. Yeah, the, the Aller and Cephas connection today was one that left a lot to be desired. I felt like that they just didn't quite seem to be on the same page, you know, whether that's the mechanics of the play or or what. But, uh, you know, I think going back to Aller's decision making and, and not turning the ball over, I mean, I think that, you know, that's what James Franklin keeps coming back to, you know, that the, you know, the easiest way to lose the game is to give the ball away. You know, and Aller hasn't done that. He did have that fumble that he that Penn State was able to gather, um, but you know he's averted disaster, and it hasn't even really felt like he's ever been on the brink of disaster. I mean, you've seen quarterbacks in the past where it feels like they're walking a tightrope every time they drop back, um, and, and Aller doesn't feel like that. So you know, every time I, I come away, you know, impressed with something else with him. I mean, he had one play. I have to look back at the juncture, but he was wound up to take a deep shot. 
like he was on his back foot you know he had the ball down and he was set for launch and in a split second he just i think felt pressure uh, off his back and just you know got out of the pocket got to the outside um and and didn't feel like he missed a beat i forget how that play ended up um but i think that seeing that just shows kind of how his mind is working where his focus is um you know it seems like penn state has really drilled into protecting the football um you know part of me feels like if these running backs are were able to you know do what they did last year in terms of big runs and big big chunk plays we might be talking about aller a little bit differently at this point in terms of what he's done and what he needs to do um but it does feel like we're getting close to a point where he's going to be called upon to win a game and he's really going to need to step up quick math here uh so don't hold me to it but <laughs> i think he's at 218 career pass attempts now at the college level including those 10 game appearances he had last year now five starts 218 throws he's put up there for grabs as a power five quarterback none of them have ended up in possession of the other team and uh, that's damn good. That, that, that's, that's, you can't ask for much more, especially uh, when you got the defense to back you up uh, and this ground game. Although, again, uh, we haven't seen the ground game carry Drew Aller to, to the finish line in any of these games. We've seen them help put away some of the contests, but Aller has had to do his part here. He hasn't been able to kind of sit in the background, I don't think. And he would expose, it would really expose this team to some dicey circumstances in some of these contests. You think about this matchup at Illinois some of those stages of the West Virginia game where if he were to lose a handle on the ball in the pocket or if he were to put the ball for grabs and swing momentum, those games may look different. Maybe you're not able to empty the bench in the fourth quarter and maybe things, you know, that come off the track a little bit. You never hit those moments and you're in your bye week. And we know what we what we do know about Drew is that he's a guy who, who likes to self-dissect a little bit and self-evaluate. So he'll have two weeks to do that. Uh, and then it'll come up against the UMass defense that, uh, you know, I don't know how long they'll have to prepare for Drew Aller, but it won't be long enough. And expectations will be high next time we see number 15 in Beaver Stadium. And by the time we get there, Marcus Higgins is going to have a lot of work to do with his wide receiver group. You talked about the disconnect uh, of sorts between Cephas and Drew Aller. And you bring up a good point because there's seven recorded targets to Dante Cephas today, and the results were two catches for 21 yards. Keandre Lambert-Smith continues to carry the the, the the bucket of heaviest water in this room by far, uh, 86 yards on four receptions. He had a 35-yard pickup. I think he had another 25-yard pickup. Uh, those were on third downs. He is where Drew Aller is looking when it really counts, it seems. You had Liam uh, Clifford move the chains at one point on a six-yard grab. He hasn't had a lot of volume uh, this season, but it feels like his catcher twos each game, they matter. They matter to the offensive series. Uh, they're not throwaway stats. And, and, you know, the tight ends involved here a bit. Theo Johnson, two catches for 13 yards, uh, two catches for 25 yards with Tyler Warren. But it's you're looking around at the wide receiver group and you're saying who stepped up in the first five games here, and you say – Keandre Lambert Smith, after you know, after talking about it for the last eight months, sir, you did it. You know, you, mm -hmm. you're clearly the team's number one wide receiver. And then you said everybody else, you got a couple weeks here. I'll see you against UMass. Don't really know what you're all about. We know Dante Cephas made back-to-back -back starts. I think that's meaningful in terms of what he maybe has shown the Nittany Lions coaching staff through his first month and a half or so of, of, of being at the Power Five level in the thick of a season. But, you know, he goes in, he had he had opportunities today, maybe when you talk about the balls that were thrown in his direction, where he could go into the bye week with a different narrative, maybe be entrenched as somebody who's going to be near the top of this depth chart. Instead, we're left with the same refrain, Keandre Lambert-Smith and just about everybody else. 
Yeah, I, I guess we, we made it this far with, without mentioning that Harrison Wallace uh, was questionable today, did make the trip, um, you know, warmed up uh, and but and early in warmups was going through at the front of the lines, you know, working as a one. Um, but then when they got into the passing skeleton, he was back with the threes uh, and we did not see him. So that's twice in three weeks that Harrison Wallace hasn't played. He's been questionable for three straight weeks. We did see him last week for a little bit, bit against Iowa. Um, so that's one to monitor as we go through the bye week uh, in terms of someone who could also have an impact on the passing game. But yeah, I mean, Keandre Lambert-Smith, I mean, I have to give him a ton of credit uh, for really establishing himself um, as someone that Drew Aller can go to. You know, All four of his catches today uh, went for first downs. He did some nice things with the ball in his hand. Uh, and he just, and every time Aller threw to him and completed it, it just felt like it was something that they badly needed in a big spot. Um, but after that, it's just, you know, there's not really any consistency. You know, we saw a couple targets for Omari Evans, uh, and we saw him get some run earlier in the game. That hasn't really manifested into anything. You know, I think that Cephas is one of those guys where, you know, maybe if they hit on one or two of these deep ones, then maybe things really kick into gear. You know, Liam Clifford has been you know kind of quiet recently. Caden Saunders is still quiet. Uh, Malik McLean has been you know pretty invisible these past two weeks. So it's just a really really interesting situation. Um, you know, you need someone to step up, uh, and I think that that's something that could maybe help Drew Aller and, and unlock things. Um, but I think part of it it feels like the like the basketball cliche where as soon as you see one go through the hoop, you, know, you feel a lot better. I think that if you know, one of these wide receivers, besides Keandre Lambert-Smith, can get loose for a big play and make something happen. I think that that could really, really open things up and help with the confidence of that group. I'm trying to figure out if this receiver situation is going from intriguing to concerning for me. For a while, it's been, oh, you know, who's going to be you know, the, the X factor? Who, who are the two or three guys in the next month or two that are going to really rise up? grab this opportunity and be playmakers for Penn State down the stretch. And that was the intriguing aspect. And now we're through five games and, and we got a couple weeks until we get a chance to see them again and still don't have answers there. And it's not, it's, it's been more of, of seeing guys get their run and not really have a lot to show for it rather than guys get their run. And then the next week it's somebody else and he's putting up big numbers and maybe early on it looked that way, 300 plus yards receiving for this wide receiver group in the first game. Uh, but thus far, it's been Keandre Lambert-Smith, 25 catches on the season for almost 400 receiving yards, three touchdowns. And then Harrison Wallace is still the next man up. I mean, he hasn't caught a pass since the Delaware game. <laughs> and he's the next wide receiver on that list with 10 catches. So uh, you know, you've got the tight end group to, to supplement this. There's no doubt about that. You've got Nichols, Nicholas Singleton more involved. He's got 13 catches through the first five games here. But that this is a room that when you're looking for, you know, and, and this is the time of the year where you start doing it. There's a lot of teams that are still unbeaten, but that number is going to go down and down and down. And when you say, what could hurt this team? I mean, a lot of people were saying it in August nationally, do they have the firepower for Drew Aller on the perimeter? You know, do they have that? And, and Keandre Lambert-Smith has shown what he is. Would love to see Harrison Wallace get a chance to come back healthy. Uh, he's a guy that, that everyone was raving about in preseason camp. And I think we saw some of that show up on the field through the first couple Saturdays. But right now, um, it's it's just, again, starting to border that line from intriguing to concerning. And when you're 5-0 and and you've won uh, 10 consecutive games by 14-plus points, that concerning list is pretty short. And there's, there's teams that are juggling 
chainsaws right now in their t- their list of concerns at, at this stage of the college football season. But Daniel, if there's something else you'd point to right here, coming off a 41-13 victory, it's our job, as James Franklin said, and it's his job to spend the next couple of weeks trying to figure out, you know, what are the problem areas of, of an undefeated Penn State football team. We'll jump into it more in future episodes. But as you as you wrap up your time in Evanston, uh, what what gives you a little bit of pause about Penn State's title hopes, and what gives you encouragement about where they are going into the bye week? Yeah, I, I'm just going to go back to the lack of explosive plays in the passing game. Yeah, I think that that's something that really stands out to me as, as what you want to see from Penn State. You, know, you need those those big plays. You need to be able to land a knockout blow. Um, you, know, you need to be able to swing the momentum of a game on one play. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be Drew Aller. Like it could be Nick Singleton or Katron Allen or you know Caden Saunders in the return game uh, on punts. Like but you need some sort of big explosive play that's going to be able to flip a field or, um, you know, just put a team back on its heels. You know, we saw Penn state do that last year. I mean, you think about that like Maryland game last year where Nick Singleton is running over guys and guys just don't want to tackle him by the end of the game. Um, you know, we just haven't seen that from Penn state yet. And I think that that is something that's a little bit of a cause for concern because, you know, you scored 41 points against Northwestern but it wasn't an easy 41. Um, you know, you look at scoring against Ohio State, potentially having to keep up with them. I mean, that's going to be difficult, and you're going to need some big plays to make that happen. Um, but as for encouragement, I mean, this defense is just really, really clicking. I mean, it's pretty easy, I think, to run out of superlatives for them. Manny Diaz is just doing a great job pushing all the right buttons. You know, these personnel combinations, I think, are really, really working. And I think that the players are just confident. They're having fun. They know that he's putting them in a position to succeed. And that is what we're seeing on Saturdays. Yeah, we haven't seen Penn State need to say, you you have to win us this game defense. You have to do it. They've played a lot of complimentary football. But we know, I think, that that they, they could get that done if it comes down to it, if Penn State weren't able to reach that 30-point threshold finally in one of these matchups. But 5-0 uh, and on the season, number six right now nationally. They've, they've got a week to kind of sit out of the fray and watch college football teams fall apart a little bit more. They've got bumps and bruises to handle more than at any point in the season right now coming out of this Northwestern matchup. So we'll be tracking some of that stuff. Just a heads up on our podcast plan for the upcoming week. Uh, we're going to go to Tuesday and Thursday this week. There's no post-game podcast next Saturday. That goes without saying. We're going to sh- uh, take our, our Monday uh, podcast off the schedule this week for the bye week format. Let Mark and Daniel recuperate from their road trip a little bit. But we'll come at you with Tuesday, take more of a, a longer look at the Northwestern game at these five games. And we'll have some fun with some guests this week as we get a chance to kind of come up and catch our breath uh, after a 5-0 and start for Penn State. Daniel, great coverage from Evanston. Uh, wishing you and Mark well on your journey back to Happy Valley. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for holding it down in New England. <laughs> That's right. We're all over the place. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for listening to the Lions 24-7 postgame podcast. On behalf of Daniel, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+.